what do you do if you have all the money in the world? I mean, honest to goodness, what would you do if you had all the money in the world? Billionaires in space. An odyssey that we invite you to be a part of. Watch carefully as billionaires spend their money to go to space. Not real space, but kind of near space. Billionaires in space. Hey everybody, it's Todd Conklin with Free Accident Podcast. It's my favorite time of year. I actually really like, um, well, who doesn't like the summertime wherever you live in whatever hemisphere? I mean, it's summertime, right? You get the barbecue hot dogs and eat chips and dip and hang out and it's nice. And you know, I have an outdoor uh, living room that I made a long time ago with a TV that, you know, when I put it up, I took a lot of crap over putting a TV outside. Now, of course, it's done all the time. I mean, I'm not saying I'm an opinion leader, but I'm saying I had an outdoor TV before most people did. Nonetheless, I mean, I just like the summer because, well, the big reason is, is the pressure um, to produce amazingly long and detailed podcasts is lifted somewhat. Although, to be really honest with you, and I usually am pretty honest with you, I don't really feel the pressure any time. I, um, yeah, that would be, that's all kind of made up for show. Now I don't feel that pressure anytime, but, but I do think it's a really, um, great time of the year. And now that I'm enjoying not traveling and being at home, it's kind of even better. So that's good. I mean, it's, it's crazy to watch what's going on in the world. Um, not surprising. And I must tell you all you guys who are on the podcast, who are epidemiologists and medicos and those kind of people. You told me this was going to happen. You said we were going to spike again, and it looks like we're going to spike. You told me it'd mutate. It's mutating. I mean, so far, everything that you guys have said about this pandemic has pretty much been on course, Uh, and we're going to approach a long time dealing with this. I mean, we already kind of, everybody's done with it, so we're tired of it, that's for sure. But, I mean, I, that's part of what's going on. So let's get into today's podcast because I think it's it's worth getting into. And, and I, I joked around with the billionaires in space thing just because it's, it's hard not to be a, a citizen of the earth and not follow the fact that these really rich guys are just dumping resources like crazy into what basically kind of looks, at least from the outside, a little bit like a joyride, right? I mean, I'm sure there's value in it at a bunch of levels, at a bunch, a bunch of levels, you know, just sort of setting the tone and, and building confidence and actually showing efficacy. All those things make a difference, but it's hard not to sit from our vantage point and say, wow, that's an interesting phenomenon, and that's what's happening. And to a great extent, that's really what today's podcast is about. So lots of podcasts get comments. Some get lots and lots of comments. Some get very few comments. Some get mean comments. Some get nice comments. I mean, there's always comments, right? That's, so that's that's a normal part of putting yourself out there and having a podcast is that some people are going to like it. Some people are going to hate it. Some people are fine with it. But it's really interesting. The iceberg comment, the iceberg podcast, uh, what level is sea level? That one from last week, that has elicited a, a greater than usual amount of traction 
And that surprises me because I didn't think it would, which means if I don't think it will get lots of attention, it almost always gets attention. If I think it would get attention, like my favorite podcast you guys don't ever like. I mean, it's not that you dislike them, but they don't get the action that I think they're going to, you know, I'm just like this one. I'm really, says there's a lot to say. I'm really proud of it. It's cool. Things are going on that no one will comment on that at all. The ones I just kind of toss together and think, oh, here's one. Oh, Brent's going to call. Let's see if we can record something. That one gets a million comments. And I think that's inherent in the nature of conversations. And it's definitely inherent in the idea of talking about what people are thinking. So I I get all that. And I don't want to waste a lot of time on why I'm amazed that stuff I'm proud of isn't exciting. But it is not. So there. I'm, I'm amazed. But nonetheless, this comment, this iceberg comment, the idea that you you sensitize weak signals and then you learn more, that actually got a ton of attention. And, and it's not for the reasons that you think, like that learning is a blunt force tool and you have to be really careful. But really, the attention it got, and there are quite a few comments around this, is that if you turn up sensitivity and become better at learning, then you have lots more to do. And in fact, if I were to title this podcast, I'm sure I would title it Billionaires in Space, but maybe what I really should title this podcast is Careful What You Wish For. Because that idea that if you sensitize to weaker signals, you're going to find more things is fundamentally an always true and one of the problems we have in organizations is that we tend to collectively ignore information because we simply don't have the resource the time the energy the effort and the money to know everything we need to know and so sometimes it's better to be in denial to collectively ignore something and to realize that we didn't know that because if we had known it then the cost to resource, time, energy, and effort to actually address that problem would be really almost insurmountable and difficult. And this idea, I know you're getting it as you listen to this because every single person that's going to listen to this podcast without fail is going to share in this problem. And the part of this that I think is most interesting, and I think the part that elicited most of the comments is that there really is an operational dilemma here. There's, there's, there's definitely a trade-off. This is everything we talk about in systems, only now the worker is us. That if we really did identify every problem, every weak signal in our work, that would give us almost an unlimited amount of things to fix. And that is frightening. And that's why people commented. And and I think it's a reasonable thing to comment about. I mean, I, I completely understand why that would happen. That, that makes total sense to me. The issue is, is what do we do with that information? Careful what you wish for, because you may get what you think you want. Well, as adult people living on planet Earth, we should probably talk about this because a lot of things come up. One of the things is that we probably do self-limit in order to protect. 
that we create barriers, almost always psychological, but we create barriers in order to give us some space, in order to give us this idea of the fact that we're in charge of what we're in charge of. And these barriers that we build, this self-limiting, is really about managing our capability, our, our amount of resource, the amount of time that we have, the amount of emotional energy that we have, the amount of attention that we can share. All these things are things we've talked about before. Those barriers, those protective clauses, those little walls we put up, that collective denial, that's all probably quite normal. At least in my experience, I see it all the time in my organization, and I really do deal with the fact that, to a great extent, sometimes we sabotage information because we don't have a place to put it, or ignore information, or discredit information, or deny information. All of this, I think, has the potential to sound somewhat, I don't know, depressing? Yeah, that's the word, depressing. But in reality, I actually think it gives us an opportunity. So let's talk about that opportunity and then be done with this discussion and go on and enjoy our summer full of hot dogs and outdoor TVs because that's out there too. And I think the strategy, because it's true, you can't know everything because you're not capable both emotionally, actually, professionally, and physically capable of knowing everything. I mean, your head would explode. You can't know all the things that have to be fixed because you have to prioritize. You have to make decisions. You have to fix the things that are most urgent, most important, the things that are most fun. You fix those things first. And then you slowly but surely, step by step, possibly possible, move towards fixing every single weak signal that you hear. So let's talk about a strategy at least one strategy, I mean, I think there's some strategy. I mean, the simple answer is there is no simple answer. Ooh, that was trite sounding. I didn't even mean for that to be that way. The simple answer is is there's no really easy way to do this, that prioritization is really an ordering process by which you make decisions of what will be fixed and what won't be fixed. And there will always be winners and losers. And it will always feel like a zero-sum game. If this one wins, that one loses. Right? It'll always feel that way. That's a part of what prioritization is about. But I would actually suggest the good news, if there is good news in the midst of this, is that, in fact, some of the very best tools to help you determine importance and significance and to help you prioritize and manage better these resource decisions are the very same people that you actually ask to be a part of identifying weak signals earlier. So we say it all the time. The worker is not the problem to control. The worker is actually the problem solver. Well, in that same vein, I would suggest that one of the most valuable and easily available tools you have to setting prioritization of what needs to be fixed when, what needs to get your very blessed and rare attention early, 
that prioritization decision can be a part of the process that the workers identify when, in fact, they identify these weak signals. So let me give you a background on what I mean. So if you find a lot of issues, so there's a lot of problems, there's a lot of worker discomfort, and they're feeling it in this part of the process in my workplace. These are made up, but that sounds about as generic as you can get. Once you really do your heavy lifting on analysis, on identifying the problem and creating a problem statement, the the research question, if you will, once you identify the problem, because that's really most of the work, then you actually have that group help you identify solutions. Now, here's where you could get some assistance with the prioritization process. Once they have the solutions identified, ask them to give you the solution in three distinct columns. The, the million-dollar solution, the billionaires in space solution, give me the best-case scenario answer for this problem if we lived in a world without gravity and friction, with unlimited toilet paper and M&Ms. If we had all the money in the world, how would you fix this? Then, in the same breath, say, if we had limited time and limited budget, how would you fix this? Which really allows the workers to give you a very, very significant solution for the problem, followed almost immediately by a limited-term solution for the problem. And once they give you that limited-term solution, then say, what's the fix we could do today? Not much resource, not much time. How can we temporarily put a Band-Aid on this problem so it doesn't cause further harm. That's the quick solution. And what you've done is you've had the workers help you prioritize and create levels of effort around the solution. And what's amazing is that asking these workers to be a part of this prioritization process is really valuable because it increases engagement. That's vital. I mean, that's, that's everything but it also gives you an entirely new data set from a much more diverse and interesting viewpoint than what you represent as the man or woman in charge of the strings, the the budget controller or the boss. I mean, you have a, a very important viewpoint. There's no question about it. But getting that diverse opinion, especially in complex processes with some time pressure, helps you a ton. Uh, a, a, a huge ton. I mean, it's completely worth doing, so you ought to do it. What's amazing is that solution generation then leads perfectly into prioritization. Ask the workers what needs to be fixed first. What's the most urgent? What makes the biggest difference? What can wait until second, right? And then finally, what can we put on our long-term strategy to get done? Now, you'll notice in both of these examples, even though I would suggest it's kind of one big long example, we're sort of bucketing things into small, medium, large, or uh, the Goldilocks phenomena. Too hot, too cold, just right. You know what I mean? That idea uh, really is just an arbitrary three-part bucketing. It could be five parts. It could be seven parts. As long as it's more than one part, then it helps you prioritize or it helps you set yourself up and the organization up 
to actually make those prioritization decisions. That's important. That's valuable. The pickle, the challenge is that you then have to put an action plan on it and actually do the work. So not getting far, not straying from the careful what you ask for, you may get phenomena. The challenge is, is when you ask workers to identify weak signal indicators of potential high-risk failure in operations, and they do it, and then you ask them to bucket and prioritize the solutions, and they do that as well, and then you ask them to tell you what you should fix first, what you should then fix next, and what you should fix over the long term, and they'll give you that information as well. Once you ask for all that information, the problem is is now you have to do something. Now you have to build in action, and you have to actually close those issues. I used to say for a long time that you're writing a check that you need to be able to cash. But I'm not sure that model works very well because I don't think very many people write checks anymore. So you're Venmoing, you're PayPaling uh, an event that you need to be able to cover. You've got to put the time, energy, and effort and resources into doing what you said you'd do. Because that's how trust is built in the organization. Doing what you said you're going to do is exactly how people start to trust you. And repeating that behavior is how we build and maintain trust in the organization as the organization moves on. So you're right back to where we started. Yet, and may I add, it's kind of a big yet, you're in a little better place. Because now instead of having all this massive information that you have to prioritize based upon all the agendas both stated and hidden you have as a leader, now you've actually got some feedback from operations, from production, and from your workers as to which issues are most urgent and which level of effort and solution you should put on those most urgent issues. It's not really rocket science, although that's what's going on this week and last week, a lot of rocket science. But it is a way to sort of share the burden of prioritization and resource management throughout the organization. Because remember, you're all in this together. I mean, everybody has a vested interest in becoming incredibly successful and incredibly reliable. And because you share this vested interest and because you're all in it together, why not create a system where you share the ability to prioritize and understand resource? Just a thought, but I actually think it's a thought that's worth discussing. It's clearly a thought that's important to you because you guys ask a lot of questions about this. And it's funny. I didn't want to really sit down and talk about this. In fact, until about a minute ago, I thought I was actually doing the introduction. But maybe this is exactly the right response initially to the question of careful what you ask for because you may get it. I mean, of course, if you ask for information, you may get it. 
And I think what's important is that you must prepare the soil. That's a metaphor. I don't really mean prepare the soil, but you must prepare the soil so that you're ready to help manage that information in a way that's effective for the organization and for your mental health. You're not in this alone. You were never in this alone. In fact, when I ask who is the organization, I'm always amazed that people look at me like I just like I like I'm standing there in front of them naked. That's an interesting image that you can carry through the rest of the day. They're big, wide eyes, and they look at me like, "Well, what do you want me to say?" Well, the answer is, "We're the organization. The organization is us. That's who the organization is. And because we make up the organization, we certainly collectively." can be a part of prioritization and of resource allocation. Absolutely. You're not in this alone. You were never in this alone. And if you think you're in this alone, stop it, because you're not. You're part of a larger organization that collectively, if you've done your job right, is all pulling in the same direction. And asking workers to help you both solve problems, identify problems, and then taking that information and asking workers to help you prioritize and understand where to best use your resources, that's a good way to not only spread the effort, but also an excellent way to spread the love. Engagement means being engaged. And workers are ready, able, and willing to engage in order to create an environment that's successful at least for the most part, you're going to have jerks. Every company does. You're going to have sociopaths. That's because you're bad at doing personnel work. But the bottom line is that collective understanding is enormously valuable to moving forward. So I hope this helps. I appreciate the comments. You guys are great. I mean, this is a really good question. And it's the kind of question that once you're feeling some what's the word, success, once you're starting to get information, you do probably naturally and normally also begin to feel a little bit overwhelmed. Spread that feeling around the organization. Because all of us together are less overwhelmed than any one of us individually. That's our conversation for today. That's the pod. As simple as it is, I think it's a very important time to spend in the middle of the summer in 2021. I like it. I think it was fun. Thanks for writing and commenting. That means a lot. Tell your friends. There's always interesting stuff to talk about on the podcast. And the rest of the year looks amazing. I, I'm stunned at all the cool stuff that's coming up. And it's coming up, so be ready. Until then, learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be kind to each other. Check in on one another. Don't forget that. I kind of just did a couple of those last night just to be sure. And most importantly, be safe. <laughs>